0: Miriam, thank you. Thank you for sharing, but also thank you for faithful service over many years. Sharing the Gospel, being God's hands and feet, and in a way being our hands and feet. As, as we send you, And I, I, as, you were, as I was looking through that list of all the things you did, thinking you were doing one thing, and, and you and Frank, all the places God called you, and, and then Andy, I think of how many lives are going to be in the kingdom because we chose to give ourselves to the Gospel. We by sending, Frank and Miriam by going, but all of us by being faithful to the Gospel and the importance of the Gospel. Miriam shared about the vertical relationship, we need to be right with God, and the horizontal, we need to be right with each other. and it's a lot of what Paul's been talking about as we go through 1 Corinthians. He started the conversation on rights, and, well, I have a right to eat meat, even if it's causing my brother to stumble, and... This whole sense of self and that I should be able to do what I want to do. And, and that dealt with putting our own self above other people and above loving our brothers. And then last week in chapter 9, we moved into the, the first part, and we'll talk about the second part today, is that people? Paul talks about rights and gives the example of himself. And yes, churches should pay me and I should receive support, but I'm choosing to give this up to not be an obstacle to the gospel. And so we see the Gospel is more important than our rights. Loving our brothers is more important than our rights. Which is exactly what Miriam was was talking about. The thing there, the thing that attacks both of those, is a commitment to self. Self uh, Self-centeredness. This idea that we are absolutely autonomous. I should get to make my own decisions. I should get to do what I want, when I want, how I want. And if we're going to be honest this morning, we need to sit here and realize we all struggle with that. That's the natural man. That's our sinful nature. And we, we struggle with the commitment to self. It's interesting, and, and by way of introduction, I want to read some out of a, a article that was in the Wall Street Journal this last week that Albert Muller talked about. If you listen to The Briefing, it's a podcast that I, I listen to regularly and I encourage others to as he talks about world events and world news from a Christian perspective and tries to help us think through them. And on Tuesday, he referenced this article and had some thoughts. And he was talking about um, the, the article, the author of the article, was talking about a movie poster in Paris. And this is sort of what started the conversation. And it, it's a movie that's advertising uh, this premise that this couple's getting a divorce. And instead of fighting for the kids... They're fighting for who gets to not take the kids. Think about that. And they're labeling it as a comedy. But what an interesting observation of where we're at with self. I don't even want my own kids because it might cramp my style a little bit. I might not be able to do what I want to do. I want to read a little bit more from the article because it really fits into what we're talking about and and giving ourselves to the Gospel All around the world today, pre-existing family patterns are being upended by a revolutionary new force. The seemingly unstoppable quest for convenience by adults demanding ever greater autonomy. Keep in mind this is not a Christian publication, this is the Wall Street Journal. That's noticing what this commitment to self is doing to family and doing to our culture. We can think of this as another triumph of consumer sovereignty which has at last brought rational choice and elective affinities into a bastion heretofore governed by traditions and duties, many of them onerous. Thanks to this revolution, listen to this statement, it is perhaps easier than ever before to free oneself from the burdens that would otherwise be imposed by spouses, children, relatives, or significant others with whom one shares a hearth talking about self and the breakdown of those relationships with each other that Merm was talking about. What an amazing, amazing statement that the world is starting to notice that this commitment to self is directly leading to the downfall of the family around the world, not just in America. This commitment to self is why we're in the news seeing issues of euthanasia, issues of well, rather than having to care for the elderly, let's just let them die. What's the purpose? It's not for them. It's for convenience. And so I don't have to be bothered by that. It's why abortion is such a hot topic. What's the issue of abortion? The issue of abortion is I don't want my life changed. It's not, I'm not choosing to bring this, this child into my life because it's inconvenient, because it just doesn't work out right now. Issues of self putting our own rights above our love for each other and our love for God. Last statement I want to read from that article as we get into our passage. Our worldwide flight from family constitutes a significant international victory for self-actualization over self-sacrifice and might even be said to mark a new chapter in humanity's conscious pursuit of happiness. Self-actualization. Self-autonomy. Self, 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 self. This morning as we come to the text, Paul is going to say, self really doesn't matter that much. It's about the Gospel. It's about the King of Kings and how we can be part of His plan to reach a lost world for Christ. And so Paul in this text calls us to radical sacrifice of self for the Gospel. To sacrifice self On the altar of seeing people come to Christ. But are we willing to do that? So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Three points that we want to look at that Paul is making, and we'll move through these pretty quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 15. And again, keep in mind, last week we we talked about. Paul is saying, I will give up my rights. And he makes this huge case, this overwhelming case, that the church at Corinth should be providing him with a good salary, a livable salary. They should be meeting his needs. And at the end of it all, he says, but I'm not going to take it. And the reason we looked at last week is he said, I don't want anything to stand in the way of the gospel. Nothing to be an obstacle to the gospel. I'm willing to work nights if it will help you know Christ better. So we come to verse 15, and he continues that thought. Let me read verses 15 through 18. But I have made no use of any of these rites, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel? We'll impact that a little bit, but point number one there is revel in and look for opportunities to give up rights so the gospel is easier to receive. Revel in and look for opportunities to give up our rights, to sacrifice, so the Gospel is easier to receive. Sort of dig into what Paul is saying. In, in, in verse 15, the, the first thing he does, he wants to make sure they understand, I'm, I'm not saying all of these things about my rights, so you pay me. I'm not trying to bleed you for some money. So he says, I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. Don't worry, I'm not asking for money. In the ancient world, that would have been a concern. Because if you talked about money, that usually meant you wanted money. And Paul just, just puts that to rest right there. But then he goes on in verse 15, and he said, For I would rather die then... And, and various translations do, do different things with this. It's a really interesting construction in the original language because Paul sort of cuts the sentence off midway. And, and in the Greek it says, For I would rather die then... And it's like a dot, dot, dot. And then he starts a new sentence that, that says, Have, I, I don't want anyone to deprive me of my ground for boasting. And, and that's really interesting because we start to see Paul's heart, his passion. He's getting emotional here. He says, I'm, I don't want your money because it's about the Gospel and I want the Gospel to go forth. I would rather die then. And you can just picture him riding, can't you? And, and, and he's like, I just don't even want to go there. And he stops and he starts a new sentence and explains it. I don't want anyone to deprive me of my ground for boasting. Keep in mind the word to boast there, we think of it as a negative thing, right? We think of boasting as prideful, talking about yourself, elevating self. The word for boasting also had this idea of reveling in something, glorying in something, getting excited about something. Have you ever had something that you just can't wait for? You're excited about. When we're kids, that you see that a lot more, right? And they can't sleep and they get excited about things. I have a an illustration that may help us understand this. Who am I? I'm the Grinch, right? Okay, and I still want to breathe. Hi, it's got it off before you can take a picture. <laughs> Friday was Dr. Seuss Day at my kid's school. This, my sweet angel wore as part of her costume. And she could hardly sleep the night before. She was jumping up and down and that morning. She puts on her costume. She comes running to me. Dad, look at me. I'm like, oh yeah, that's my daughter. Um, <laughs> and she wanted to be the Grinch. And when, when I got home and we, we were having dinner together that night... She's she's dad. She's just so excited. She tells me all about what this was, what this meant to her. This was important to her. That's reveling in something. That's getting excited about something. So if you, if, when you see Paul say boast, he's not boasting in himself. He's boasting in Christ. He's boasting in the gospel. And and it's a it's a word that says this is what's important, and I'm excited about. It. I can hardly contain it. If you need to think of the Grinch Mask, think of the Grinch Mask. But it'll help you understand what what Paul's doing here. And he's boasting of his right to not claim his right. What an incredible thing. And two two things that help us understand this section. The first in verses 16 and 17, he's he's saying that I'm not preaching, I'm not boasting that I'm preaching the gospel. I'm compelled and expected as a steward. And if you look at 16 and 17, he's saying, this is what I should be doing. This is what I have an opportunity to do. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid on me. The gospel has impacted me so much, and God has called me to preach the gospel that I have to. In fact, at the end of 16, he even says, and woe to me, or let disaster come on me if I don't you get the idea that this is important to Paul? This is so core to who he is and his ministry. And in 17, he goes on, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. So, so what he's saying here is, okay, if, if God has not asked me to, to share the Gospel, and if this is just a side thing and I go and do it, then I'm sacrificing to share the Gospel. woo I get a reward. But he's saying that's not the case. I'm compelled to, to preach the gospel. It's not my own will. I am entrusted with a stewardship. And if you remember from First and 2 Timothy, we talked about that we're entrusted with the gospel as stewards. And a steward was simply a slave that would watch the master's household and make sure everything functioned and, and make sure everything got along well. And Paul is saying, I've been entrusted with the gospel. I have no choice but to do this. This is this is what god has called me to do one author was writing about prophets and preachers and said the prophet does not volunteer for his mission it is forced upon him he is seduced he is overwhelmed there is no choice that's what paul is saying i don't have a choice so i'm not boasting that i get to or 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 reveling that i get to share the gospel that's my job it would be like some of you you go into work tomorrow morning And your boss comes to you and says, Wow, I just can't believe you're here. That is so amazing that you showed up for work this morning. You get a raise. No, is that what he's going to say? He's going to say, it's about time. You're 30 seconds late. This is your job. We don't expect a reward for our job. And and that's significant what Paul is saying. Our understanding that part of our role as believers in Christ, part of our job is to make disciples to go into all the world and preach the Gospel. Make disciples of the nations. That's not an option. It's not an option if we want more rewards. It's our calling. And it should burn inside of us until there's nothing else we can do. We are ambassadors for the Gospel. There's some great passages that I encourage you to read this week there that this message comes up over and over and over in the Word do we feel so strongly about the Gospel that we're compelled to share it? Or are we sort of ambivalent to it? As I've ministered, I've seen that one of the things that helps us decide which side of that equation we're on is how much do we realize the Gospel has impacted us? Really, how amazing is it? If we begin to understand that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, we have no hope of eternal life without Christ, and He, through nothing we've done, sacrificed Himself on the cross in our place. That if we believe on Him, we can have eternal life. That is amazing news. And we should get worked up about that. And Paul's worked up and he's saying, I- I'm compelled to do this. But then in verse 18, he talks about what is His reward then. And so he says, What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Paul's reward is sharing the gospel sacrificially. He's compelled to share it. He takes joy and gets excited when he gets to sacrifice to share it. When he gets to give up his rights so someone can hear the gospel even clearer. To make it easier for people to to hear. And and he says that. The joy is that I get to present it free of charge. I have the right to not exercise my right to take your money. And I love it. Because you'll hear Christ more. That's what he's saying. And so Paul here, what we can get from this first section is, is that Paul is reveling in his right to give up his rights. He is excited about the sacrifice. And, and, and if we're going to become men and women of the Gospel that are willing to sacrifice the, ourselves for the Gospel and put the Gospel higher than our own rights, then we have to get excited about opportunities where we can do that. See, the other way we can approach sacrifice is, oh no, woe is me. Let me tell you the things I'm giving up for God. We can get all sad about it and all depressed about it. Does that encourage us to make sacrifices for the Gospel? No. No. But we should change our whole mindset to say, man, if I get to sacrifice for the Gospel, what an amazing opportunity for my neighbor to come to Christ. For my co-worker to hear about Christ. I'd like you to take a moment at the top of your notes. I have a space there. Just write a couple names of people you know that need Christ. Who are a couple people you know that need Christ? That maybe don't know Him? Maybe people that you're praying for? We've done this before and it's just healthy to keep doing this. Especially as we work through this passage. Write their names down. And then look at their names for a minute and say, what... What things do I love and enjoy that I might be willing to give up if they would come to Christ? Maybe you look at some of the names and some things come to mind right away of some rights that you might have to give up if you're ever going to reach them. But let's think tangibly about this. Sacrifice is not depressing, it's exciting. Because it means we're making inroads for the king. whole different way of looking at it. Just a side note, I think when when God calls us to sacrifice for the gospel, it makes the message more impactful as well. Think in marriage for a minute. Men, those of you that are married, is there a difference between you just happening to grab the secretary's flowers on your way out, out of her vase and taking them to your wife versus... If on the way home, you go to three different flower shops because you know your wife likes three different kinds of flowers and you get her favorite flowers in exactly the arrangement that she wants and it took you a couple hours and some of your time to do it. Which means more to your wife? In case you don't know, the second. (laughs) The sacrifice. Because it means that you're willing to give up yourself for that person and that is impactful Imagine how God might use sacrifice for reaching your neighbor, for communicating that you care about them. It doesn't just work on wives. It's a relationship thing. And so see opportunities to sacrifice joyfully. Revel in them. Enjoy them. The next section of verses is really the heart and soul of Paul's ministry. You see that in almost every one of his epistles. In every one of his writings. Let's read 19 through 23. For though I am free from all, and he's referring back to his freedom in chapter 8 to eat meat, he talks about it in verse 1 of chapter 9. I am free from all. Nobody has any constraints on me. I can do whatever I want. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews I do it all for the sake of the Gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. What an incredible passage. And just just right from the start, before we look at this and say, well, that's Paul. That's really nice for Paul. Just turn over a page to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11.1 is where Paul wraps up this argument. This is all one argument. What does he say? Be imitators of me... as as I am of Christ. So we can't use the excuse, well, that's just Paul, because Paul says, okay, copy me, because I'm copying Christ. So this passage represents Paul's outreach principle. And point number two is that we need to follow Paul's outreach principle. Become all things to all people by all means for the Gospel. There's a lot of alls in there, isn't there? Because this should be per- pervasive in every part of our life. This should be something that consumes us. And Paul here being free says, I choose to make myself a servant or that word can be translated slave to all. He's saying, I choose to give up myself for somebody else, for their preferences, for their culture, for for who they are, for their interests, if I can save in some way, be part of their salvation. What an incredible statement. What a heart for the lost lost, and a willingness to give up of self. And Paul hits on something that we see throughout Scripture. God, when He's looking for people to use, is looking for servants. People that are willing to sacrifice self, to give up self for His sake, and for the sake of brothers and sisters in Christ, and for the lost. And and we see that throughout Scripture. In fact, I would argue the only way we can have a fulfilling Christian life is by giving up ourselves for Christ and for His work. We see that in Philippians 2-3-5, and we'll come to that passage a little later, but where He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility put others above yourself. Look not every man to his own things, but every man to the things of others. Have the same mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. That's fulfillment. Christ, when His disciples were arguing who would be the greatest, He said if you want to be great, you need to be the least, a servant. If you want to be first, you need to be last. Jesus Himself said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve over and over and over in Scripture is this principle that Paul is saying, we've come to be servants of all. That's where we find fulfillment and joy in our Christian walks. It's not about self, it's about Him. And then the next few verses, Paul explains what that means. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, because he's now saved and Christ has fulfilled the law that I might win those under the law. Both of those are probably dealing with the Jewish audience. The second of those, maybe including some Gentiles that had come into the Jewish faith. But what Paul is saying is when I'm ministering to Jews, I live by Jewish customs. We know that Paul followed some of the Jewish holy days and observed some of the festivals. Why did he do that? It wasn't for salvation. He did that for one reason, to not impede the gospel and to build bridges for the gospel. He didn't have to go through all that. And and, and we might say, man, he took it to some radically sacrificial things. He takes Timothy along on the second missionary journey. And he says, Timothy, we're going to be ministering to some Jews, so we need to go get you circumcised. That's radical sacrifice that says, I'm willing to do something I don't have to do for the sake of someone else hearing the Word. Paul himself takes a week-long Nazarite vow, pays for others to, to to be able to take this vow. In Acts 21, to open the door for the message. To the Jew, I become the Jew. To those outside of the law in 21, speaking of Gentiles there, he didn't insist on Jewish laws. He didn't force them to observe the the, the holidays and, and force them to be circumcised. And, and so He related with them. Lived life with them. Participated in what they participated in so that they would hear the Gospel. Do you see what He's doing? He's building bridges. And instead of being about self, He's finding ways to share the Gospel. Now, now in 21, an important note, Because he qualifies it. Because some might say, okay, that means I do anything. If I'm reaching adulterers, hey, I'm going to go commit adultery so we have something in common. That's not what Paul is saying. Okay? Obvious statement of the day. But he says that not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ. And he's specifying that in the process of adapting ourselves to reach people, we never cross the line into sin. Never cross the line into compromise. Miriam shared God, Jesus' law this morning. In Mark twelve thirty 30-31, Jesus said, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. That's the words of Christ. You want to know what His law was? Love God, love others. see throughout the New Testament other things but love God love others and Paul says I'm constrained by that I'm willing to adapt my behavior but not change the message In verse 22 he comes back to the discussion of the week there's lots that has been written we, we don't have time this morning to get into it to the week I became weak that I might win the week and, and some have said he's just talking about those unbelievers that are weak in their faith. Well, all unbelievers are weak in their faith. And it really looks like he's using the same wording as he's using, he used in, in chapter 8 and sort of digging the dagger in a little bit and saying, okay, you weren't willing to give up your rights to have the menu item you want. To the weak, to those that are, are struggling in the faith, to those that maybe are undecided about some things in the faith, I'm willing to give in and be weak with them. I'm willing to not eat that meat. I'm willing to not even go there, even though I can, because I want to win them. In that case, it may not be winning them to salvation, but winning them to maturity. To understanding a scriptural point of view. What an incredible passage. He goes on, and this is the principle. End of 22. I would highlight this, underline this, memorize this. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. That's the outreach principle. That's Paul's outreach principle. All things, all people, all means. Paul was giving up his right to his own culture, environment, preferences, his own comfort zone to be flexible and find a way to share the Gospel. This wasn't Paul being wishy-washy. Some have said, oh, okay, he's not really himself. He's this way with this group of people and this way with this group of people. No, he was very focused. And his focus was the Gospel not being all he could be. And so he would do anything for the Gospel. You see intentionality here when he says, I have made myself. I have become This is a very proactive section. Up till now, it's been don't cause someone to stumble. Now Paul is moving to the proactive and saying this is how you go for it, guys. And the method, he says, is to enter their world. You want to reach those people's names for Christ that you, you have at the top of your page? Are you willing to enter their world? Are you willing to become what they are? To, to be interested in what they're interested in. One author wrote, to voluntarily cater to, the person, voluntarily cater to the personal, cultural, and religious patterns and interests of the people we are reaching out to. So it's building bridges. It's finding common... And it may be stuff that you're not even interested in. And let me, let me give you an example of this. John, can I, can I use you for a minute? You can sit there. Let's say John and I work at the same place and we're in the break room... And, and John, let's just assume he doesn't know Christ for a minute. Sorry, and, and we're talking, and in talking, I he say, "Hey John, did you see football last weekend?" I know we're past football season. Just imagine with me, and John says, "What? What would he say?" "Yeah, I saw the Patriots." Okay, and right there, I know an interest of his. Right? If I'm serious about reaching him for Christ, this is this is how simple it is. I take note of that. And I probably go home and figure out where the Patriots play, what they're like, how, how awful they No, they're, they're actually really good. <laughs> and I find that, and then a week later, we're in the break room again, and, and maybe I say, "Hey, John, you know the, the Patriots are going to be down playing San Diego coming up. You want to go to a game with me?" What have I just communicated? I've communicated that I listened, that I, I heard his interest. I now communicated a value to his interests and I've created an opportunity to possibly share the gospel. It can be that simple. But it may mean doing something. Maybe I don't even care about the Chargers or the Patriots. It's all about the L.A. team, which is nothing. (laughs) Now, now. It doesn't matter what I like and don't like if I care about his eternal soul. It makes sense. That's where we have to be if we're to follow Paul's example here. I have some some ideas there's one run through the list there, some, some practical suggestions. We need to find common ground with others or make it. And usually it's about making common ground. Learn what they like, learn their personal interests, remember, ask. I'd even go to an angel game to reach my neighbor. (laughs) Be interested in them. Avoid a know-it-all attitude that will kill your opportunities to share the Gospel. That's letting pride and self in instead of a focus on the Gospel. Be a safe place for them to express opinions and ask questions. If they come and say, you know what? I just don't understand how Jesus being born of a baby could be God. That sounds ridiculous to me. Our answer should not be, Are you kidding me? You don't believe that? What kind of numbskull are you? And we would never say that, but we might act like that sometimes. Rather to say, You know, that's a really good question. That's a really hard thing to understand. Let's look at God's Word together and sort of figure out what it says. Let's look for truth. Which way is going to give you a better opportunity to share the gospel? Which way is harder? The second, because it takes more time and more personal investment. Be sensitive to others' needs and concerns. Next one, be considerate of their beliefs. Don't offend with behavior. Now, and I want to be crystal clear here the gospel offends. I'm okay with the truth of the gospel offending. I don't want my behavior to get in the way and offend them before they've heard the truth of the gospel. So, for instance, if I have a neighbor and growing up we had a, a neighbors who were Orthodox Jews, and, and, and in, in every sense they practiced it, I would not invite them over for a pork dinner. That would be rude. It, it, would, it would destroy my opportunity to share the gospel. I need to be all things to all people and not sinning, but I need to figure out what kinds of diet they can have. Probably that day I'm not going to wear my I love bacon shirt. I know that might seem obvious, but we need to be intentional about noticing what our neighbors care about, what their beliefs are. Now by doing that, I'm not, I'm not saying that their belief is better than Christianity. I'm removing an obstacle that might get in the way of me sharing the truth that will lead them to eternity with the Lord Almighty. That's how important this is. Look for and make opportunities to tell people about Christ. All the stuff of building bridges, that's pre-evangelism. It's not evangelism. If we just stop there, if John and I go to a, a football game together and I never mention Christ to him, I have not shared the gospel. I took the first step, but I missed the important step. Be intentional. Go to them. Work on a plan. Look at your two names on your sheet of paper. What might, you need, what, what might you be able to do to start to build some more relationship there? To build some bridges? To not offend by behavior, but to let the Gospel convict the heart? Are we willing to be all things for all people and use all means. Even if it means I don't get to watch the TV show I wanted to watch today. Or I don't get to do something I planned on doing if it means they come to Christ. The last point, I just want to mention the point. Train and guard your life so that nothing disqualifies your testimony. This is a passage that we sometimes take by itself. We need to understand the context is doing all things for all people by all means to share the Gospel Removing obstacles to the gospel. That's the context of this passage. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may attain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified we're going to share the gospel if we're going to put gospel above self then we have to discipline self to make sure there's nothing in our lives that disqualify the message that ruin the credibility of the gospel we may talk a little bit more about that next week but this morning we want to end with a time of communion and then singing a worship song together and and what an incredible way for us to remember the beauty of the gospel the impact of the gospel See, we're talking about giving up our rights for the sake of others. Really minor things compared to what Christ did. Philippians 2, 6-8 goes on to say, "...who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant." Jesus emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. "...being born in the likeness of men." That's bridging the gap. That's being all things to all men. He became a man. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. That's what we remember with communion. The crackers represent His body, His willing giving up of His life to be tortured, to be killed for our sake. The, the juice represents the blood that was shed in payment for our sins. That if we believe in Him, our sins are covered, they are forgiven, they are taken care of, they are wiped away clean, guilt is gone, and eternity is now with Christ. That is worth getting excited about and reveling in. So as we take communion this morning, I want you to think of those two names on your sheet of paper, or three or four names. Who needs Christ? They need to someday sit at this table with us. They need to someday be able to take this with us and say, we have fellowship together. This is what it's about, people. Get excited about it. Be willing to sacrifice for it. Lord God, thank you for your sacrifice. An example that... Oh, we... we, We so want to follow God, but it's so hard. Lord, I pray that You'd show us areas of our lives where we are holding on to self, holding on to our rights, holding on to our preferences and our desires and what we want life to look like. And help us to be willing to have life not look like what we want if it means someone coming to You. I praise You for the the sacrifice of Your Son for salvation that we could never earn. So Lord, we can worship, we remember You, we give ourselves to You as our response. In Jesus' name.